God loves to celebrate. He has seven feasts in the Old Testament. Three of them all collapse into this week that we call Holy Week. Of course, it begins for the Jews as Passover. Then it goes to the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was seven days. And there was also the Feast of First Fruits. And what the Feast of Unleavened Bread did was it brought all the people together into Jerusalem to the temple. Of course, these feasts, the three feasts pointed to one person, Jesus Christ. But the question was at the time, who is he? But the question still exists today, who is he? If you have your Bible this morning, if you have a device, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Palm Sunday, uh, Matthew 21. want us to go back 2,000 years and look at the events that God wanted us to see. Now, if you're able to stand, I want to encourage you to stand as I read. I'm just going to read 11 verses. want to get us focused on the celebrations that were coming up that week for them and Holy Week for us. Verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and her colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God, Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, you are such a good God. You, you are a God that loves to celebrate. You're a God of surprises. You're a God that loves people. And you draw people together. But there's so many that are still asking, who is he really? God, would you give us eyes to really look into your word today to see what you wanted us to see. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. I love this passage. I never get tired of, of looking at it. And so the question that really is before us is who is that man on the donkey? Who were the people looking at when they saw him on the donkey? Now, because so many of us, we've read this story so many times, we can get so familiar and sometimes, candidly, we miss some details. 
We, we just kind of let the story move us along and we miss some key details that would maybe shape us to think a little deeper about who this man is. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to look through the lens of three people or three groups, three different lenses and go deeper into the scripture. The first group we want to look at are the crowds. The crowds. Now, sometimes we don't read this carefully enough, but what, what's happening in this passage is it seems likely that there's two groups in the crowd. Now, why do I say that? Well, we know that if you read Matthew carefully, back in chapter 20, the chapter right before what we read, we'd begin to see that the disciples and a crowd of people were traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem. So in verse 29 of chapter 20, we get the sense that there's a crowd coming from or out of Galilee with Jesus. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because Jesus spent most of his time in the northern part of Israel, up in Galilee, up near Capernaum, out near his hometown, Bethlehem, up in that direction on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And you know what happened out there. Jesus was connecting with people. And what did he do when he connected with people? He saw someone sick and he healed them. He saw someone with a disease and he took care of it. He saw someone that couldn't walk. And what did he do? He gave them legs so that they could walk. He saw people that were blind and what did he do? He opened their eyes. He was showing them not merely miracles, but love. They could experience him fresh on. And so the people of Galilee were part of the crowd. But there's another group that was there. We're going to see the difference in just a moment. Let me tell you about them first. It was a crowd from Judea. These were the people that were more from around Jerusalem. Certainly they might have heard about Jesus. Certainly they heard about some of the miracles. But remember, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that meant that people from all over the Roman Empire were flooding, the Jews were flooding to Jerusalem. Likely, if they were on the far outskirts of maybe even Israel, they had not really heard of Jesus. They may not have been as familiar with this person Jesus Christ. Consequently, when you read this passage, sometimes we just blend and blur these two groups of people together. But maybe Matthew is showing us they're not to be blend and blurred. So we see that Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. You see that in verse 1. Well, as he's drawing near to Jerusalem, He's actually coming out of Jericho, we're reminded. And he's got these people traveling with him. That's chapter 20, verse 29. Now jump down to verse 8. You got the phrase, the most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. These are the people that saw the miracles. These are the people that experienced Jesus. These are the people that were acquainted with who Jesus 
was revealing himself to be. But it goes on. They laid their cloaks on the road. They cut their branches from the trees, the palm branches that we were waving this morning, and they spread them on the road. Verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. Look what they were shouting. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Hosanna to the Son of David. Then, verse 10, when he entered Jerusalem. See, he had not entered Jerusalem yet. He was still on the outskirts. Now, what would it mean to separate these two people, groups of people, and why do I think it's possible that there were really two groups of people going on? Because here's what would have happened. You would have been in Jerusalem. You would have to know that Jesus was coming into town. Not, not out of the ordinary. They could have heard, hey, this, this person, Jesus, that so many people are talking about. But they would have had to have left the city limits. They would have had to descend down into the Kidron Valley and then climb up out of the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives. Now, Kathy and I got to do this a few years ago. Not the most strenuous hike, but a little bit odd that people would leave maybe the city of Jerusalem and travel down out of the city and into the Garden of Gethsemane or over towards the Mount of Olives. So I'm thinking there's two groups of people. The group of people from Galilee, they're the ones that are saying, and look how they identify Jesus. We're asking the question, who is the man on the donkey? Well, they're saying, Hosanna. Well, that's a word that means save, deliver us. Well, deliver us from what? From our sicknesses, our illnesses, our lameness, our demon possessions, our, our all these things. Deliver us, save us. And also, because Jesus claimed to deliver people from their sins, it picks up that as well. Save us from our sins. Son of David, well, that's just a picture of kingship. The son of David, the promised one that was going to be on the throne forever. And then, what we get is that, verse 10, they come into Jerusalem and the whole city was stirred. But what did they say? Notice they're not saying Hosanna. They're not saying son of David, here's the king, let's praise him. What are they doing? They're asking, who is he? Is he the prophet? Now they knew. Any studied Jew at the time would know from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, Moses wrote and said, God is going to raise up a prophet like me and he will be sent to his people. So they knew that there was this promised Messiah that would come and live among the Jews. And God said, I will put my words into his mouth. So it raises a question, doesn't it? They wanted a prophet. You know what a prophet does? He speaks for God. People wanted a word from God. That's why you're here this morning. You want a word from God. You, you want God to give you direction for your life. You're wanting God to speak into the things that are going on. That's what the people were wanting. So when they're crying out, He's the prophet Jesus. They're hoping 
They're hoping that there would be a fresh word from God that would give them hope, that would give them direction, that would give them peace, that would give them joy. Let's flip that a little bit. They were tired. They were tired of what the religious leaders were saying. They were tired of the religious leaders saying, you got to jump through these hoops. They were tired of people saying, you've got to accomplish this to be accepted by God. They wanted a fresh word from God. So as we look at this passage, I think we see two crowds. One crowd is a little closer to identifying who Jesus is. He's the son of David. He's the one who can deliver us. The other crowd, maybe not yet there. Their experience was not the same. He's just a prophet. So there's one lens we could look at as we study this passage. Probably many of us have read many, many times. But let's look at what Matthew was actually trying to say. Remember Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was there. He was in the crowd. He's one of the disciples. What is he trying to tell us? Well, that's a bigger question, isn't it? Because you'd have to read the whole book of Matthew, and we don't have time to read the whole book of Matthew. But if you read the book of Matthew, you know what the first verse is. This is Matthew writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So what Matthew was doing right from the get-go was bringing us into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. So when Matthew writes his whole gospel and he gets to chapter 21, he's just laying it out deeper and deeper that this Jesus is the promised one of the kings that God was going to give to Israel. So when I read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, Jesus Christ, I don't read that as one name. I read it as Jesus, comma, it's not there in the Greek and it's not there in the English, Messiah, that's what Christ is, the Messiah to the son of David. Because remember, David was promised that someone would be on his throne forever, forever. And so Matthew is saying, I want to show you what God is doing, that this Jesus is in line with kingship according to the plan of God, and that he is in David's holy line. Now, if Matthew stopped there, we'd say, okay, the people are getting it pretty well. But Jesus picked up a phrase. Jesus picked up a phrase that's a little different. But before we get to that phrase, look again. The people are saying out of math, out of uh, Isaiah or Psalm. I'm sorry, Psalm 118, Hosanna. That's where they're picking it up. So they're praising God. And Matthew wants to see Jesus as this promised King. So now we've looked through the eyes of the crowds, Galilean and Judean, and others from the empire. We look through the eyes of Matthew who wants us to see it as see Jesus as the king. But now we need to ask 
What does Jesus say about himself? Who does Jesus say is sitting on that donkey? And we find this in Matthew 26. Jesus first, well, let's go to the phrase up in verse 4 and 5 of Matthew 21. Jesus, I think this is still Jesus speaking, this took place to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah was saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Zechariah 9, if you go back, is prophetic, pointing to the person of Jesus Christ that there would be a king that would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So this was written several hundred years before Jesus ever came, prophetically looking forward. And so Jesus, looking at verse 4 and verse 5, is fulfilling what the prophet was coming, coming to do, or the king was coming to do. And notice he's on a donkey. That is that he was coming to bring peace. Now, this is going to play into the verse that you see on the bottom of the screen there, Matthew 26. Because as Jesus goes on, and as Matthew makes clear, Caiaphas, the high priest, says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So you see what Caiaphas is doing. He's hearing what they've done, that they've applied Zechariah 9.9, that they've looked at him in Psalm 118, and they're saying, he's claiming to be a king. So, I adjure you, speak up, Jesus. You've been a little quiet on this. Tell us if you're the Christ. That's the word Messiah. If you're the king, because the Messiah is a king, the Son of God. And look what Jesus responds with in verse 64. Jesus said to Caiaphas, you have said so. Now, that's a strange response, isn't it? It strikes you, and it strikes me. Why doesn't Jesus just say, yeah, you got it right, Caiaphas? I think there's a reason why he says it that way. You, you said it, Caiaphas. I think what he's saying to Caiaphas, you, you got it partly right. I am the Messiah, but I'm not the kind of Messiah you're looking for. They were looking for a certain kind of king that would be nationalistic, that would be over Israel and maybe seek to overthrow the Roman Empire, at least come in and clean them out of Israel. So Jesus uses a strange phrase. You, you, you got it right, but wait a minute. There's so much more. And look what he says to Caiaphas next. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, that was his favorite phrase to use, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he takes that right out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And Jesus, with clarity, without stuttering, he speaks right into the face of Caiaphas, and Caiaphas understood this. He is claiming to be sharing power and authority with God himself. 
because that's what Daniel is talking about. Daniel chapter 7, it says this, that there would be one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him he had given dominion and glory. There's the sharing. And then he goes on and he says, a kingdom that all people, all nations, all languages should worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. See, Caiaphas knew what Jesus was claiming. Jesus is revealing himself. I'm not only the king. I'm not only the prophet. I am God himself in the flesh. So, who is this Jesus on the donkey? Oh, not in an abstract way. Who do you say Jesus is? Are you like the Judeans that only know Jesus secondhand? Are you one of these people that only hears about Jesus from other people? And you walk in a kind of quasi-form of faith? Or are you more like the Galileans that they've experienced the power of Jesus Christ, the miracles of Jesus Christ, the goodness of Jesus Christ, the kindness of Jesus Christ? What has it been for you? Do you believe that he's the king? That he is ruling right now, but one day he's going to return to this earth and rule with power? Do you believe he is speaking the very words of God? I'm a little bit more like these people that are tired of jumping through hoops and tired of hearing about all these things. I want to know the real Jesus. So all of us have to answer that question. Just like the people were asking that day, who is this Jesus? Who's this man on the donkey? Now I want to give you a promise. If you and I get it right, if you and I get it right that he's not merely a king, but the king. He's not merely a prophet, but the prophet. He's not merely a man, but he's the God-man that delivers us from our sin, removes our guilt, takes away shame, conquers fear over death, raises people from the dead, if you get it right and experience his resurrection power, here's the promise. It will transform you. You will never, ever be the same. The people that see him only as a prophet, it's not transformative. But when you see who Jesus really is, that changes lives.
Father, the truth of your word is so liberating. It's so powerful, so filled with details, so amazing as we look at, Psalm, at Matthew 21, Psalm 118, Zechariah 9. God, we rejoice this day. I want to pray right now for anyone here that has never experienced Jesus Christ as the living Savior, the living King, that you'd open their eyes, let them see that Holy Week was for them. They can find forgiveness of sin. They can find freedom from shame and guilt. God, let the search end today for those folks. And for all of us, as we search and walk through this world, let us have our search end with the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.